Good evening. We are in the middle of the halachas of Hitzor. And as we said in the previous year, we will this week start to describe some of the different articles, etc., that need discussing whether one is allowed to wear them, carry them, one isn't allowed to wear them and carry them. But just before we do that, and it will take us quite a few weeks to get through them all, because it's quite a lot, you'll be surprised how many different articles we are wearing and carrying every Shabbos, some, well, hopefully all correctly, but some are more controversial than others. But before we do that, let's just do a quick chazorah on the main thrust of the previous year. We discussed in the previous year the heta, which is minhateya of chai noisets atzmai, that minhateya, a person who can walk on his own, an adult or a child, as long as they can walk on their own, to carry that person on Shabbos, even though you are doing the full, carrying his full weight, and you are actually completely carrying him, but since that person can walk himself, he is considered chay noises. That's why we consider him in Atari if he's carried himself, and therefore min Atari you have not transgressed on Yisrael Hitzor. Midrabonon, the Chazal came along and said that even though min Atari is not called a Hitzor, Midrabonon is called a Hitzor, and therefore you mustn't carry him Midrabonon. But min Atari you have not transgressed on Yisrael. That, as we said, applies to a woman a man, a child, elderly person, a young person, anybody can walk on their own. If they can't walk on their own, a baby, or an older person who's uh, disabled and can't walk on their own, or a disabled person who can't walk on their own, or somebody who's tied, so he can't walk on his own, that person, if you carry him, then you have transgressed the Isra You've done, you've transgressed the biblical Isra because that person can't walk on their own, and we can't consider them carrying themselves. But if they can walk on their own, Irrelevant of how well they can walk. If they can walk on their own, it's considered Where is this practically <coughs> applicable to all of us? And that's, as we explained last week, if you're taking a little toddler for a walk on a Shabbos afternoon, which is something grandmothers like to do and mothers like to do, they don't want to be locked at home all day long, so they go out for a walk with a toddler and they take the risk, and invariably, on the way home, the toddler is going to turn around and say, I refuse to walk, please carry me. Um, it doesn't make a difference how far you walk, they're going to say, please carry me. So what does, what does one do in that situation? And we discussed that the, what the thing that one has to be extremely careful of is to pull him along. To pull him along the, I mean, the child's refusing to walk, so the most natural reaction is to slap him. You get hold of his hand and you pull him. And it's only three blocks till the home and hopefully you won't dislocate his arm and you'll, you'll, pull him, uh, you'll pull him home. The problem with that is, as we said, that pulling is considered a nakira, a hoitzah and a hanokha. By pulling, you are uprooting him from his place, you are transferring him to a new place, and when he stops and he resists, and you've stopped pulling him, you have then transplanted him in a new, in a, in a new, into a new mockum. That is com- completely an isodraisa of Hitzor, except here you've got a child who can walk to learn Minister but you've definitely transgressed the isodraisa of Hitzor. So what does one do? How can, get, how can one get around the problem of a, a child who's being obnoxious and refusing to walk home? <coughs> so we, we gave a few levels of Heterium, the simplest level is, and this will get him to walk extremely quickly, is to ask a non-Jew to pick him up and carry him. Believe me, he'll walk straight after that. But <laughs> that's the simplest. You're asking a non-Jew to pick up the child and carry him home, the non-Jew will pick up the child and carry him home for you. That's fine. That's the simplest. No, no, no problems, and that's straightforward. If there isn't a non-Jew around, then we said the next level of Hesa, which Chazal gave us, is if there's two, two people, a husband and a wife, two women, two men, whoever may be walking along with this child, then one should pick up the child and walk less than Daladamas. Stop. Hand it over to the next person. Walk the second person will walk left and Zaldama stop and they'll continue going backwards and forwards like that until they get to the house. What you do when you get to the front garden or to the door of your house, we'll discuss in a few moments. 
if there's only one of you, then you have no choice, and the only other age is to pick, pick up the child, walk, less than four hours, stop. Carry on walking, less than four hours, stop. And do, carry on like that, never, never walking more than four hours before stopping, uh, all the way until you get to your home. How much is four hours? You asked me a very good question, because uh, I'd have to work it out for you, and there's so many different shitters, and I didn't work it out before this year, so I'm not going to bother answering that, because I might get it wrong. But if you really want to know, I mean, if you're walking with one of your grandchildren, and you really want to know, give me a call. <coughs> so I'm safe. <coughs> okay, Blinet, I'll try and remember to, to, to work it out for you for next year. The, of course, if we're in a, if we're in a difficult situation, if you're in a Mokham Sakona, in a dangerous situation, it's, it's the child stops in the middle of the road and the, there's a lorry coming down uh, at the top of the road, then you definitely pick him up and just run. Don't, don't ask any questions. Or if you're in an environment, an area where, where it's dangerous to remain there for too long, you just pick up a child and you run home. Then you run as quick as you can and you don't stop, etc. You just move. It's forbidden to remain in a dangerous situation even for a, a, a short second. So that will solve the problem to get you to your front door. What do you do when you actually get to your front door? Because here we are, we're entering into a new problem. Till now, walking less than Daladamas will get around the problem of Havaris Daladamas Bishasarabim. You're not actually passing, transferring an article more than four hours in Bishasarabim. You're not being over an Isidrais at all. So, but what does one do when one arrives at one front gate? You have a gate with a wall around, a garden with a wall around, and by crossing over the threshold of your gate into your garden, you have now transferred the child from the Shusarabim into the Shusayachot, which is again an Isidrabonon. Walking less than four hours won't help you here, because at the end of the day, you're transferred from the public domain to the private domain. So what does one do? So here we came with a few H's. Again, we'll go all the way down from the beginning. We start from the beginning again. If you can find a non-Jew to, to carry the child over the garden fence into the, into the house, fine. If you can't, if you can encourage him to walk, fine. If you can't, then we suggested the H was like this. If you can get somebody in the house to come out to the garden and put the hands over the gate, you, standing on the other side on the Rishas Rabbim, will pick up the child, give it to the person whose arms are now in the Rishas Rabbim, but his body is still in the Rishas HaYochid. You will hand him over the child. He will then take the child over into the Rishas HaYochid. This way, you've done the uprooting of the child in the Rishas Rabbim. He's done the placing of the child in the Rishas HaYochid. Neither of you have done a complete Melechus Hitzor. It's only another Isidra Bonon with a Chaim Eishasatmoy in a situation like that. There are lots of Paschim who make that that would solve the problem. So in dire straits, if you can't get a child to walk one step over the threshold on his own, then that is the, 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 the simplest method to transfer him back into the house. So if you're in a Carmelist, to transfer to a Carmelist is the same thing. You can do the same thing to transfer to a Carmelist. If you have no... Well, I mean, you shouldn't be asking that question by now, should we? <laughs> if... Um, if you have a no front, if you don't have a front wall, etc., or your wall is less than Daladamas, well, if you have a, a low wall around it, then you're okay, because that low wall is considered a Mokham Patur, so you can just place the child on the Mokham Patur, walk in, take him off, and then in the Carmelist you've got the same problem, you put him on the doorstep, and uh, you just shoo him in, and hopefully he'll go in. <laughs> if you are stuck in in the street and he won't even, he won't even he won't allow you to or you don't have a wall around and you have no mocking to place him on then you can do the same thing somebody can come in stand at the edge of the camera put their hands over etc and um, and you can transfer in that way if you're stuck with a child in a camera there are, there are here there are many possible more makal that if the child's crying in a camera and screaming and refuses to move then you can actually pick him up and walk home
because for a tsar the inukim, because of the upsetness of a child, they'll allow you to to be to well, it's not really transgressing. They allow you to waver what's called a shvus to shvus. Here, the, at the end of the day, the only thing you're doing by carrying this child is an isadrabonon because it's chaynosis atzmoi, and the domain that you're in is only also only a rishus drabonon. So you've got two drabonons in the place of where a child is screaming or shouting. So one can definitely be a bit more makel there. So if you're in a street which is a cul-de-sac or anything like that, there's room there to be makel and you can pick up the child in, if you can't find any other eater and carry him home straight. No, that is not true. No, 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 not quite. It'd be nice if it was, but it, it, it isn't quite. No, um, according to a lot of shitters, and that's how we, we assume that most of our streets are Shusharabim, though we do sometimes rely on the shitters, as we will come across later, later in the shit today, that we, we, we rely on the shitters who are Makel, that they, are, they have got a dim cabinet, but many shitters hold that most of our, a lot of our roads are Shusharabim. Anything which is opened up onto Shusharabim on either end, and that, that includes uh, Gold's Green Road, uh, Finchley Road, Hoop Lane, um, Ravenscroft, uh, there's, there's, uh, there's no end of them. Uh, then you keep going there, like if you keep moving, coming off Ravenscroft is Tempers Avenue, I'm sure you'll, you'll heard of Tempers Avenue. Uh, <laughs> Tempers Avenue goes on to St. George's, which is opened up on both ends. And so you, you can end up with quite a lot of Shisarabans, uh, not according to all shitters, but according to a lot of shitters. So ideally, if you're in a straightforward street, one should make the assumption that it's a Shisarabim. If you're in a cul de sac, then you definitely have a calmness. Sorry. So a child to the doctor, a child's unwell, uh, and you have to take him because it's a, it's a question of sarcoma. Uh, if you can get a non-Jew to do it, fine. If you can't get a non-Jew to do it, then pushing a buggy. We're going to come to that later. Can if when you can carry a child, can you push a buggy? Is, is another question which we will discuss with Hashem, uh, hopefully in, in, in some of the coming shurim. I said we're going to go quite slowly. There's a lot of, you know, different scenarios that we need to discuss with regards to carrying, and that's just one of them. Um, ideally, you can get a non-Jew to do it, or go through the motions. If it's a, a real sakon, you have to get there quick, then you just dash. Just dash. Okay, we then moved on onto the basic <laughs> criteria, the basic rules with regards to what should what may one carry and wear on Shabbos, what may one not carry and wear on Shabbos. We went through about, about seven different rules, if I remember rightly, seven, eight different rules, which are important for us to know, because from now on, the next few shurim, as we work through the different scenarios of Itzar, they are all going to be based around these seven rules, so that we, these eight rules. So we, we learned them last week, but let's repeat them slightly slower this week, and then as we move into the different, different cases, you'll see all those cases have to fit into one of these categories, either to allow us to wear it and carry it on Shabbos, or to forbid us from wearing it and carrying it in Shabbos. It's got to fit into these categories, and the categories are as follows. Anything which is a, a malbush, a garment, or a tachshit, or an ornament, those are very ambiguous words. Please do not assume a garment and an ornament. Is, an ornament is something that we call a garment and an ornament, because it doesn't. A garment and an ornament in, in halacha has completely different connotations, and we will describe each case as we go along. So anything which is considered a garment and an ornament, and he's wearing it in a normal manner, then that's fine. That he can wear in Shabbos. So for a simple case, you can wear a coat, you can wear clothes, because they are garments which is being worn in a normal manner, that's fine. To wear a, a, a garment in an unusual manner, we'll see. If the, the article is not a garment, and it's not a, an ornament, and even if you're wearing it in a normal manner, you will be chayav achatos if you walked out into the street with it on Shabbos. Something where there's a worry that you might come to take it off to show someone. 
So an example would be, and we'll discuss this at length, Be'ez Hashem, uh, a nice piece of jewelry. We'll come back to that later, why we do allow ourselves to, to wear jewelry on Shabbos. But the assumption is that we do wear jewelry on Shabbos, though it's not straightforward. But something which you might, you walk in the street and you meet your best friend and you just bought yourself a, a beautiful uh, new necklace, white gold, just the height of fashion, and you just can't resist, you, you've got to show it to them, and you stand in the street and you going to take it off and say, look at this, beautiful, I got it for a bargain, three and a half thousand pounds, it's unbelievable. <laughs> <coughs> Something where there's a worry that you might take it off in the street, then even if you insist, I'm never going to take that off, Chazal said, that mustn't be worn on Shabbos, because we're worried that you will just, the urge will, will be too great, you'll take it off, you'll try to show it to your friend, and you'll forget, and you'll end up walking down the street, and you might cut and be over in Israel. So something where there's a worry that you might take it off to show, and we can't make up the rules when that when, when are we worried? When we're not worried? Chazal will tell us all different scenarios, which scenario fits into which category. These are just the rules or the categories. Something which is loose and therefore might fall off on its own. Is, uh, Chazal said it's forbidden to wear in the streets on Shabbos because it might fall off and you might end up coming to carry it in, in the street. Something where there's a worry that people might make fun of you. You're wearing something which is a bit unusual and you suddenly walk in the street and you notice people laughing and you'll be embarrassed. You might take it off so that people shouldn't laugh at you. Again, Chazal forbade you from going out with an article that is possible that somebody will make fun of you because you might take it off and end up carrying it in the street. <coughs> there are many things which are forbidden to wear in the street or go out in the street with them because of Maris Ayn. Because Chazal said it gives a negative impression. People might misunderstand what you're doing here. And because of that, Chazal forbade you to go out in the street with certain articles. And we're in fact going to start. The first article that we will describe in a few moments will be something which is also because of Maris Ayn. Just to give you an idea of the, the scope of the Issa of Hitzor. Uh, there are times articles which a person might be wearing and would normally keep on but because of a mitzvah be it one has to go to mikveh or be it a mitzvah like tefillin as we'll see in a moment where you might, where you might have to take off when one goes to be excused where there's a worry you might have to take it off for a reason for a mitzvah Chazal forbade you to wear that article in the street because you might come to take it off at the situation you might meet that situation on the mitzvah you might come to take it off and you might end up carrying it in the Shisarabim And then, finally, anything which is worn, not as a garment, but just to protect one from getting dirty, etc., what Chazal call atzulei tinuf, it's to protect you from becoming dirty, but it's not really a garment, it's not there to be worn as a garment, it's just a protector. We will discuss those again, different articles. Again, Chazal forbade you from wearing that in Shabbos, well, it's not forbade, it could be sosim in because it's not considered an, a garment, it's not considered a tachshit, it has none of the criteria of allowing you, you might be wearing it, but it's none of the criteria of allowing you to to carry it in Shabbos, to wear it in Shabbos, and therefore it, it's considered a masa, and you will be over an issa of itself. I'll give you a, just a wild example we're going to talk about today, is uh, uh, one of these plastic hats that you wear on top of your hat, right? It's raining out there, you don't want your hat to get dirty, you're wearing it, it's on top of your hat, and it's there just to protect your hat from getting dirty. But that's not even what we're talking about, we're talking about even if you're going to wear it to protect yourself, from getting dirty is also not so problem, and we'll dis- not so partial, and we'll discuss that as we go along. Sorry, dirty, dirty, dirty. We'll see as we move along, Mitchum. Okay, so now just to start off with a, a, an unusual, an unusual example. This example, which is not practical for any of us here, but it is practical in present day Eretz Yisrael, extremely practical. Is is a, a man allowed to walk out with his sword? Now, if you can imagine, 100, 200 years ago, if you walked out without your sword. Uh, the side without your uh, your piece of arm, uh, you without your arms on Shabbos, you were uh, as if you're walking out with nothing on. It was part and parcel of the of of, of a man's uh, show of strength that he walked around with it, with his 
sword on his side. Is he allowed to walk out with his gun, with his sword, etc., on Shabbos? Now, if, you, if the man is wearing the piece of armory exactly where it should be, that means tied around his waist, etc., or hanging on where it's supposed to be, it's supposed to be hanging, not holding it in a holding fashion, because if you're holding it, there's no doubt that's considered hetzah. But we're talking about wearing it as one would normally wear a gun or a sword or something like that. We're not talking about holding it. Holding it is definitely also. Can you go out wearing it? Now here Chazal said a man's not allowed to go out in the street wearing his armory, wearing his sword, wearing his gun on Shabbos because of Marasayim. Because people seeing this gentleman in the street with his sword, with his gun, might think that he's, out, he's going out to do battle. And that's something which one shouldn't be doing on Shabbos unnecessarily. So therefore because of Marasayim, Chazal forbade you from wearing a piece of armory. However, if you're in a town, in a country, where you are a, a member of, a, of the, you've been conscripted into the army, and any member of the army is forced by law to wear the gun, must never walk around, not at home, not in the street without this gun, then here Chazal are making, and they say, if you're wearing it in its normal manner, that means you're wearing it exactly as it should be worn, I don't know, over the shoulder or around, around, the, uh, around one's waist, I, I'm not quite sure how one wears them, but if one's wearing it in the manner that one should, should wear them, then one's allowed to go out and Shabbos with it as well, because it's considered a badge of honor, it's not considered a maso, it's considered a tachshid, it's it's like the, the, we'll discuss later an Ebed is allowed to walk around with the sign saying who he is a servant of he's a servant of the most prestigious person in town he wants to walk around with the badge saying who he is it's uh, a tachshit for him so too wearing this piece of armory if you are a, a member of the, of the armed forces could be in those, in those situations considered like a tachshit like a, a badge like a medal and therefore you're allowed to wear it on Shabbos hopefully it will not be applicable to any of us here but just to give an example of the breadth of the Shailah of it's on Shabbos. In a place of danger, it's a different story. Yeah. No, it da- danger doesn't come into any of this. Danger has its own set of rules, and we will discuss when we finish this. So we will go through the halachas of refuah, and then the halachas of danger will come in uh, over there. Um, but at the moment, we are discussing normal situations. We're not talking about a time of war. We're talking about normal situations. But you're in a country where the country demands of you that you are to, 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 you're conscripted into the army, and when you are in the army, you have to wear your gun or your sword or your knife or whatever it may be then if you're wearing it in its normal manner and the law is that you have to the poskim will make them <coughs> again the, the poskim talk about can a man walk out wearing tefillin on Shabbos and as we said, mentioned a few moments ago the reason why one mustn't wear tefillin on Shabbos even if one's allowed to wear tefillin at home we're assuming that one can wear the tefillin at home but one still wouldn't be allowed to wear it in the street because you might end up having to go to be excused and take the tefillin off and you might end up carrying them so here we have a case of not wearing something though it's a proper uh, wearing tefillin is considered a complete clothes it's like clothing like wearing normal clothing you're wearing it you wear tefillin that's what you do you wear tefillin and just like I'm allowed to wear a coat I should be allowed to wear my tefillin in the street as well but here Chazal will worry that you might end up taking it off when you have to go to be excused and then you'll forget to put it back on you'll end up carrying it and therefore they forbade you from wearing something like that in the street on Shabbos so here we have a case of something which is a proper malbush wearing it properly but because there's a chashash you might take it off for a mitzvah in the words of commerce therefore they forbade you from wearing it uh, that's a different story whether it's from the moksa it's not so posh from the moksa if you don't wear it for the mitzvah you're wearing it just because you fancy looking uh, looking chashav then it's not posh that it's moksa moksa and shavas okay <coughs> can a, a person who has a small foot right you're size 3 and the only shoes you can find at home are a size 7. Can you walk out on Shabbos with a, a shoe which is larger than the size of your foot? And here it's quite obvious, we have the problem. Like we said, something which is loose 
cannot be worn in the street on Shabbos. Even though you've got it on your foot and you've tied it up, you've done it as, tied up as best as you can, but it's loose. If, you, if it's loose, there's a worry that it might fall off. If it might fall off, you cannot wear them in the street on Shabbos. We will discuss slippers and crocs, etc. at length at a bit later date, but the question of slippers and crocs, etc. is the same question. Is a croc something which is uh, loose on the foot? Is it considered? Well, well, uh, a good fit. Um, I've never worn a pair of crocs in my life, so I can't really tell you, but they tell me that crocs do fit very well. So, a lot of the Paschim are make but you will get some of them who will tell you, you mustn't wear crocs and shabbos, and this became very, very applicable on your kipper. Can you wear the crocs on your kipper in the street? And though we were make here, some of them were make because they felt that crocs are they don't have a back they do have a back but they're, they're not a tight fit and therefore there's a worry that they might come to fall off on, and you might come to carry it in Shabbos so that's the question here so you can see what we are the questions the, the situations the scenarios are, are, very, are very vast and there's quite a lot of them out there and you'll be surprised how many of them are applicable to all of us walking out with one shoe on on a foot the other foot without a shoe now you're going to laugh but this is really is something which is uh, very nagare Walking out with one shoe on one foot and no shoe on the other foot is awesome because, as we've learned, something that people might make fun of you, something that people might laugh at you, you're not allowed to, you're not allowed to walk out in the street with a Shabbos. Walking out with one shoe is definitely going to get the little children to make fun of you and you might end up taking it off on Shabbos. What if so, what would happen if somebody has a problem, a cast on one leg? Can they walk out with a shoe on the other leg and no shoe on the leg with a cast. Now you might think I'm absolutely crazy but it's a big machlekes. A very big machlekes. Enormous machlekes in the Paschim and the Mishnah says and this is where we come to this question of do we have proper Rishos Rabbins in our and I said to you it's going to come into question many times and this is what the, the, one of the places where it will affect the Pesach If you're in a proper Rishos Rabbins with no doubt L'chol Rishos Rabbins which is very difficult to find nowadays even on the circular isn't a Rishos Rabbins L'chol so if you have Rishos Rabbim, which is Rishos Rabbim L'chol then you ideally shouldn't be walking out with your cast on one foot and your shoe on the other foot. So the big machlek Zaposkim, one perhaps shouldn't. But says the Mishnah Baruch, nowadays we don't have a Rishos Rabbim Deraisa. We don't have, according to all shit, a, a road which is 100% Rishos Rabbim Deraisa. And we are talking about here what? An Isidra Bonon that you're carrying, you're, you're not carrying at the end of the day. You just chazal forbade you from going out with a single shoe because you might take it off because people make fun of you. Plus, there's less chance of people making fun of you when you have a cast. Therefore, in that situation, says Mishmur, you can be seimach on those who are meikul. You can rely on those who say that one is allowed to walk out with one shoe on a foot when the other foot is in a cast or has a makkah, etc. That's no problem. And that's how we paskin. That's how we paskin halacha nowadays. They're not actually quite talking about a cast. A cast is... is, is perhaps more simpler but let's talk about somebody who has a, a, a sore foot and therefore is walking out with a slipper or, or, or etc on the foot so, and the shoe on the other foot that's much more uh, there's much more room there for somebody to make fun and laugh look at him he's walking around with a pink slipper on one foot and a, and a brown shoe on the other it's definitely an air, you know the children definitely will walk out and laugh and we're worried about children laughing as well not just adults and nobody wants to be laughed at even, even by a child and in those cases we have this question and the mission is makel because of the combination of those reasons <coughs> the Mishnah tells us and we pass on that a man is not allowed to walk around with a, a needle stuck into his clothes now the reason why he would like to walk around with a needle stuck in his clothes is to tell him to tell you that he is a tailor by trade etc he wants to walk around with a needle the halacha is a man mustn't walk around with a needle stuck into his clothes 
a woman, also must walk around with a needle stuck into his clothes. However, with a woman, the Shukhanach says quite clearly, if the needle, the pin, is there to serve a purpose of joining two parts of the, bag of the clothing together, so for instance, your press double, your button's gone, got lost, and you need to keep your jacket together, or your, your whatever it may be, your, your shirt, skirt, trousers, irrelevant, you need to keep it together, then if it's serving a purpose of keeping the clothing together, then the halacha says that a woman is allowed to walk around with a pin closing the two parts of the garment together. So therefore you can have a pin, you can have a safety pin, anything that, that's there to serve the purpose of keeping the clothes together is 100% Muslim Shabbos for a woman. When it comes to a man, it's more complicated. The Mishnah is not clear whether a man's allowed to walk around with a safety pin or not, because it seems in the olden days men never wore safety pins in their garments. It just didn't exist. In the time of Chazal, they didn't wear safety pins, uh, or any pin, to, to close garments together, and therefore, in the time of Chazal, it wasn't so straightforward that a man could wear a uh, pin, even if it was serving the purpose of joining the garments together. However, nowadays, where most of us, if we're desperate, would put a safety pin in, that's why we wear long reckless, right? Would put a safety pin if they needed to, to keep the trousers together, or the jacket together, or whatever it may be. So therefore, nowadays, the poskim again are makele and allow even a man to use a safety pin if necessary. A brooch. A brooch is not serving any purpose at all for the clothing. You, the brooch doesn't close any parts of the jacket together. It's there purely for decorative reasons. Now, a brooch, which is purely decorative, that becomes a tachshit. A tachshit, which is there to serve as a decorative purpose, either decorative to the clothing or decorative to the person, is considered a tachshit. And, as we said, we allow, nowadays, people to wear tachshit on Shabbos. So to wear a brooch on Shabbos would be 100% mutter. Something which serves a dual purpose. So you had a brooch, but you, your brooch is made out of a key. No, that's fine. That's no problem at all. Then you can definitely do that. But I'm talking about where it serves a purpose of being uh, an ornament, and at the same time another purpose off the person. You're going to take it off and use it for something else. So for instance, there was a time, I remember when I was a child, they definitely had them, where they turned keys into brooches. They made them very decorative, beautiful, nice keys, and, and they made it really decorative and nice. And uh, you walked around with your brooch, and you had your key in it, and it looked very nice, and everybody stared and smiled and said, wow, what a wonderful idea. But at the end of the day, you have a brooch which is uh, serving, serving two purposes. It's decorative, and at the same time, it's serving the purpose of a key. Is that considered something which you're allowed to carry on Shabbos, or you're not allowed to carry on Shabbos? And here again, we find enormous machlekas. Do we say that the ornament is the primary purpose of the brooch or do we say no the primary purpose is the key and the ornament is just by the way if the ornament is the primary purpose then we consider it a tachshit and we allow you to wear it to Shabbos if it's not if it's only the secondary purpose and the, and the main purpose of that brooch is the key then it's not a, it's not a tachshit we have to consider it uh, something that you're carrying and you can't wear it to Shabbos and because it's a big machlekes the Mishnah Baruch Paskans actually the Mechabah says that's a machlekes we're showing him and therefore if somebody wears it we do not make a fuss so if I saw any of you walking in a Shabbos with a brooch with a key on I wouldn't tell you to take it off but if you haven't got a brooch with a key we have better answers, better ideas and better ways that you can carry a key in Shabbos don't make a brooch with a key on it so it's definitely something you might take off correct but you, you, you're not going to take it off until you get to, the, to, to, to your home, until you're, you're Shusayochid. Like you, don't, you, you don't tend to take it off in the street. 
not something you're going to take off in the street. So the worry is not that you might take it off. The worry is only that I'm carrying something which isn't a tachshit. Something which is not tachshit. It's not a, an ornament. And it's not a malbush. It's considered a muscle. It's considered a burden. It's considered carrying. And therefore, it's, it's problematic. So we don't make a fuss about it. But if you ask me now, should I go and get one made? The answer is no. In the time of <coughs> Chazal, wearing rings, men never wore rings for decorative reasons. They only wore rings as part and parcel of their job. They would wear a ring with a seal on it. Rarely did they wear a ring without a seal. So in the time of Chazal, to wear a man to go out in the street wearing a ring was definitely forbidden. A ring with a seal was a machlekes rishonim. Some rishonim say you can, some rishonim say you can't. Nowadays, where it's much more common, not perhaps in our circles, but it's much more common for men to wear rings, even during the week. They wear rings, it's, it's a sign of, I'm not quite sure, it's, a, it's decorative, it's it's like, like women would, I suppose, a sign of equality, perhaps. But like women wear rings, men wear rings. Since men do wear rings, and it's not uncommon, so the possum say nowadays, and we should have already discussed it, we can be makele, and we don't have to stop a man wearing a ring on Shabbos. Now, you might have a, a piece of jewellery, which is an ornament, and therefore you're allowed to wear it on Shabbos, no problem. But that jewellery, because you're allowed to wear it, doesn't allow you to use it as a means to transport an article. And I'll give you an example. It's an example which is not practical nowadays, but it will move on from there to a more practical example. An example which is brought down in Shulchan Aruch. In the time of the Shulchan Aruch, they used to fashion out of gold glasses cases. Glasses cases. Can you imagine they used to wear monocles in those days? They didn't have uh, glasses like we had. And they used to have a little pouch made out of gold. It was beautiful used to hang around your neck, it was very decorative, and inside the pouch you had this little glass, so when you needed to see something, you wanted to read the advertisement or the shop front or see, or see the designer label on, on a piece of clothing in a shop window, you could take it out and you could have a look. Now, the actual pouch, the actual glass in this case, is fine. It's beautifully decorative, and it's a necklace, it's a tachshit, it's an ornament, and therefore one's allowed to wear it in shoppers. But can you actually put the glasses inside the case? And here the Shulchanot says very clearly that though the external necklace with a pouch is decorative but you can't use that to put something inside the, the article that you place inside is not a tachshit and therefore you are now carrying that article which is placed inside that, that uh, so for instance wearing a, a, a knife inside a, a, knife, a knife holder where the knife holder is on you and that might be mutter as we said before but to put the knife inside that that would be a problem because you're not wearing the knife and the knife is not decorative it's not part of you it's been carried by the article which, is, which you are wearing that is already considered a muscle is carrying and you can't do that in Shabbos where this is perhaps practically so we're going to discuss that in a moment it's not so straightforward that you can walk around with the glasses hanging down because let's give you an example another example a watch now we're talking about a plain watch not a decorative watch we'll come back to, the, uh, we'll come to watches in a, bit, a bit later, in a few moments time a plain watch a plain watch which you, you, you want to transport the watch you, can't, you have this phobia you can't be without the time for more than three and a half seconds what do you do on Shabbos right? so you've got this idea that what you'll do is you'll, make, you'll create a necklace and then you'll hang your watch on the necklace see the halach is quite explicit that you cannot do that if the watch is not a decorative watch the watch is a plain watch and you hang it on a decorative necklace that doesn't help you the necklace is decorative so that's a tachshit but the watch is not decorative and therefore you are now carrying that watch so the same would go if you're wearing a pair of glasses. If you're wearing a pair of glasses, I'm not looking at you, Mrs. Graydon. If you've if you got, you got a pair of glasses with a very decorative, beautiful white pearls, 
round your neck, and at the end of the pearl, you've, you've got the glasses hanging. Now, your glasses, they might look beautiful on you, but they're not hanging down, they're not attached. It's not part of a beautiful necklace. They are just glasses. So therefore, to wear them in the street, not on your, on your face, and we'll discuss wearing glasses on your face in a few moments, but to wear, to wear glasses hanging down could be a problem of carrying on Shabbos. So ideally, you shouldn't. If you need to wear glasses in shul, try to bring them to shul before Shabbos. To wear them in the street hanging, if you wear them on your nose, we'll discuss wearing glasses on your nose in, in, in a few moments. So that could be a problem of a tashit. If, however, the glasses or the watch which you're using as the pendant of your, of your necklace is, is a beautiful watch, it's a really designer, it's studded with, with, uh, with uh, diamonds, however you want to uh, design this, this fantastic watch, and it's really beautiful and hanging on there, it really looks nice, so it's a tashit as well, then that's fine. That's fine, because there's no worry that you can take the watch off. It's not serving a dual purpose in the sense that it's got another, a, another purpose outside of being worn. That watch is always going to be worn on a necklace. That's what it's there for. You can use it as a, as a, as a watch as well. That's fine. It's serving its purpose in, the, in its state of being a necklace. That's fine. There's no worry about that. Therefore, that, that would be allowed to be carried in the shower. So if somebody wants to think of an ingenious way of making money, create beautiful necklaces and beautiful watches, and you'll probably go bankrupt before you sell too many. <coughs> But that would be fine. Same if you had decorative glasses, beautiful glasses, which are probably much more difficult to, uh, to, to design. That would also be fine. As long as it's a tashit and it's there to enhance the appearance of the person, that's fine. We are going to discuss watches in a few moments, Mitchum. We'll get there, we'll get there. As we, we'll get, as we get through the evening, we're getting more controversial. So let's start with... with um, with glasses. Let's start with wearing glasses. Is one allowed to wear glasses on Shabbos or not? Now, to hang them down, we've said you definitely can't. Can you wear them on your nose? Right? The answer is yes. So, the Mishnah Brewer brings down from the Chai Odom. Mishnah Brewer brings down from the Chai Odom. Well, hang on two seconds and you, you, you'll hear. Mishnah Brewer brings down from the Chai Odom something extremely interesting, strange, strange to us. The Chai Odom says that one mustn't wear glasses in the street on Shabbos. You can't because you, they might fall off and you might come to carry them. And he goes under the banner of something which is loose, and you might fall off, and therefore you'll end up carrying it. You must not wear your glasses in the street on Shabbos, which would create enormous problems for something like me who's almost half-blind without my glasses. I wouldn't make it to shul, and, uh, and what would I do? We end up with serious problems. Now, the modern-day Poskin discuss this at length, and they say that the Chayotim is talking about in his time, though I don't remember when glasses were invented, but he says Chayotim is talking about, they say Chayotim is talking about glasses that didn't have sides, arms, like we have, and they were just the glass that were perched on the, on, the, on, the, on the edge of the nose, which is really a, a piece of loose, very loose, and the risk of it falling is, is, is really there. And that's the type of glasses he's talking about that you mustn't wear in the street because there's a worry, they might fall off, and you might, and, and you might carry them. So nowadays, where we need glasses, and we do wear glasses in the street all the time, someone who, who wears glasses all the time can't see without those glasses, needs them for his things, doesn't matter how strong they are, but wears them and uses them all the time, then there's no worry that they're going to pull off because he wears them all the time, never takes them off. There's no worry he can't see without them. He's used to only seeing with his glasses. There's no problem at all. You can wear plain, normal glasses that you use all the time for long-sighted, for, for, uh, long-sighted vision. You can happily wear in the street on shops. Okay? So far, so good. What would happen if you need reading glasses? Just reading glasses. So you wake up this morning and you thought, you know what, I really fancy going to shul today, but I didn't take my reading glasses to shul on, on Shabbos, and there isn't a gemach yet outside the 
lady shul of uh, on the Golden Green Basin Medrash with reading glasses. There is, there is. Oh well, this is before the gemach was invented. <laughs> and you decide, I really want to go to shul. I really, really want to go to shul. Just, just, I've just got this terrible urge to go to school, shul. But what do I do? I can't, I can't read. So you know what? I'll put my glasses on my nose and I'll walk to shul. Now here you have a problem. You're walking to shul wearing glasses that you never normally wear in the street, and there's a worry that you might take them off and they might fall off and you might carry them. You can't wear glasses. So reading glasses cannot be worn in the street on Shabbos. Let's move one stage further. What about sunglasses? So, moving down to sunglasses. We're getting, getting scarier now. Walk, moving down to sunglasses. If the sunglasses are part and parcel of your, your uh, prescribed lens. So, for instance, you, you have normal glasses which are a minus 5 or minus 10, whatever it may be. And you have another pair which is sunglasses as well. But it's also, it's just, it's, it has the prescription lens inside it. Just dark. Then that's fine. You're never going to take those glasses off and showers because you, you need them to see. It's the prescription that you walk around with all day long. You're, you're going to, you're going to walk, walk to show them on showers with your dark glasses and never going to take them off. No problem at all. You can wear them on showers. If you don't have a ready-made pair of sunglasses and you want to wear what used to be fashionable, I don't think they are anymore, these clip-on glasses, that's again okay because when you clip them onto the glasses, they become part of your glass, your normal spectacles. You are never going to take those spectacles off because you... You need them. That's your normal prescription lens inside. You're never going to take them off. And even if you lift them up, it's part of the pair of glasses that you're wearing. That's fine. No problem at all. What we are really have, where we really have a problem, the problem really starts is, can I wear a plain, zero prescription pair of sunglasses in the street on Shabbos? Now, different people wear different sunglasses for different, wear sunglasses for different reasons. There are some people who wear sunglasses for health reasons. They walk in the street with sunglasses because the sun disturbs their eyes, they suffer from hay fever, or they have very sensitive eyes and it makes the eyes water and they can't see where they're going, or they're worried it'll, it, it damages their eyes, etc. That's one reason why people wear sunglasses. Other people wear sunglasses just to in- enhance their appearance. I know it sounds funny, but they're fashion icons, fa- fashion people wearing sunglasses. There are many women out there on Shabbos who walk around with strange things, and some of the strange things is just a big pair of sunglasses. Can you wear those sunglasses on Shabbos? The reactor light's fine. Reactor light's fine because, again, it's your prescription glass. Bifocals, no problem. Even though they're reading glasses, but at the end of the day, you need them to see. You need them to see long distance as well. So or anything that you need with your prescription inside is fine. We're talking about a plain sunglasses which you bought in boots for, for a few pounds and they make you look very fashionable and you have no purpose at all besides the sunglasses. What do I do? Are you allowed to wear them on Shabbos? So, if you're wearing them for, for, for health reasons, because you suffer from hay fever, or whatever it may be, there's no question about it, the, all the possible will make that you're allowed to wear them on Shabbos. If you aren't wearing them for a four, you're wearing them purely just because it's sunny and, you know, you don't want to squint so much, or you, 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 you want to look good wearing sunglasses, that's much, much, much more problematic. Much more problematic to the extent that I will say to you, if you ask me, should I wear them, I will say no, but if I see you in the street wearing them, I won't tell you to take them off. <coughs> it's not posh and ideally one shouldn't be wearing sunglasses on Shabbos if there's no purpose for you to wear them we're nearly finished we're, 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 we're trying to get to the end I know it's cold he, he must have forgot to put the heating on today let's <coughs> see <coughs> 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 so that's fine yeah but isn't it a bit mild no marasine no marasine at all because many people wear sunglasses for, for health reasons so it's clear in the past in the early past that sunglasses which are for health reasons are fine no, nothing to worry about no so are we clear? Glasses, we're allowed to wear glasses. Normal glasses you're allowed to wear. Bifocals you're allowed to wear. Reading glasses cannot be worn. 
Sunglasses, if they're for a four, they can be worn. If they're for uh, fashionable reasons, preferably for two reasons, you shouldn't wear them. If you're normal wearing the glasses, let's say they, they break, and you have to go home, and they are a bit unstable, is that a problem? A pair of glasses with, uh, without the, an arm on, for instance. Yeah, it would be a problem on on uh, on Shabbos because then then you have the problem of the chayod and it's loose. There's a chance it might fall off and you might come to carry it, and that would go under the banner of of the chayod that you shouldn't be wearing the street in Shabbos. And if I can't see, if it's not safe, really. You have a very serious problem. <laughs> I have had I have had that situation where uh, my glasses have broken on Shabbos and I've had to have one of my children walk me to shul. Um, I'm almost blind without my glasses, so. If you ever you see me in the street without my glasses and I ignore you, nothing personal. <laughs> okay, let's move on now to one more controversial subject, and then we'll leave it at that. As we said, we've, we've covered very little ground today because as we as as we go to the next room, you'll see there's so many different scenarios that we have to discuss. Uh, different types of clothing. We, 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 come on, wear them. Come on, not. Come on, not. Today we discuss glasses. We're going to move on to one more article: watches. Come on, wear a watch on Shabbos. Is one allowed to wear a watch? Any problem with wearing a watch on Shabbos or not? And it's more controversial, so I'm going to be, I'm going to tread very carefully here. To a pocket watch, right? Which was fashionable uh, many years ago for men to wear pocket watches, which is a watch which is chained through a, 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 a buttonhole or whatever, and then it was kept in a pocket and you would pull it out and look very hush as you were looking at the time. That is definitely a masoy, it's, a, it's proper, a proper carrying and it's completely forbidden to carry that on Shabbos. No shy about it. A pocket watch is definitely awesome. Glass, uh, a watch on your arm a watch on your arm a normal plain watch on your arm so let's slowly a watch on your arm which is made out of gold which is a tachshit it's a gold watch nice watch silver watch whatever it may be but it's an article which beautifies the arm it's equivalent to a, a bracelet etc that's a tachshit again there's no question I was allowed to wear that on Shabbos um, even if the watch would stop and you would take it off it doesn't mean that it's not a tachshit uh, some Rabbonim give the, the, the uh, guidelines that if you take it off when it's stopped then it means it's not a touch I don't think that's true I just think some people are embarrassed to walk around with watches which are stopped you know, it looks very strange to walk around you, feel, you don't feel right but at the end of the day a gold watch which is a touch it or a silver watch or whatever it may be white platinum I don't know whatever they're made out of if it's a, a Khashiva watch even if it's not so, it doesn't look so good but it's, you know, it's re- really a really expensive watch the, the, with a leather strap it's also called a touch it anything that's there as an uh, ornament as well is considered Mutter, there's no shyly about it. Then that's an ornament. That's an ornament. Yeah. For the for the for the, un, the undiscerning eye, that's, that's that looks uh, it looks like a twenty thousand pound watch. Yes. But what what does one do with a plain watch? N- not an ornament. A plain, nice, straightforward plain watch like mine. Absolutely plain no ornament at all can one wear and this is a question for ladies a question for men is one allowed to wear a plain watch in the street on Shabbos now here is an enormous enormous dispute in the, in the, in the modern day poskim and I'll explain to you very briefly what the argument is about the question is like this anything which serves a purpose for the person right so it clothes the person it keeps the person warm it covers the person etc or is that beautifies the person that's considered part and parcel of the person it's considered a malbush it's considered a tachshit it's a garment or it's, a, it's an ornament then that's one, there's no question one's allowed to carry that on Shabbos that's not called carrying that's called wearing the watch serves a purpose it serves a purpose for the person to know the time and it's worn always it, the way it serves its purpose is by being worn on the arm but it's not actually directly impacting on the person himself it's just the person might want to know the time so it serves the purpose of 
I can now tell the time with a watch on my arm. It's not a piece of clothing like, a piece, it's not an article like a piece of clothing which keeps a person warm. Which the, the purpose of that article is the person himself. Rather, it has a use for the person, but not directly. Are you, am, am I clear enough on what I'm saying? It's not impacting directly on the person. And therefore, there's a big machlekes in the Paschim. Do we consider that a malbush or a tachshit? Do we consider it part of the person, like clothing? Or do we say no? Since it's really an external use, it's not a direct use on the, with regards to the person himself. It's not enhancing or warming or clothing the person. Do we say it's considered a mafsoi and you're carrying? That's an enormous machlekes in the Paschim. Some of the Paschim say you mustn't walk out with a watch and Shabbos. Definitely not. And some say... No problem at all. You're allowed to walk around with a plain watch and shabbos. The mini ground here definitely is for people to wear watches and shabbos. But if somebody wants to be from and be machmir, there's a very strong, strong machmir to be machmir. If one doesn't want to wear watch and shabbos, there's a machmir to be machmir not to wear watch and shabbos. Somebody does wear watch and shabbos and wants to wear watch and shabbos, you can't say you're doing anything wrong. At the end of the day, there's a lot of pasukim to say that it's not considered carrying. But somebody who feels that they want to enhance the shabbos, not wearing a plain watch and shabbos is an area one can enhance the cover the shabbos. So that brings us to, not to the end, to almost just the beginning of the different articles. And you see clearly how even things which we take for granted, glasses, watches, etc., uh, isn't so straightforward. And we'll go through many more different articles, even articles of clothing, which to the, the unlearned eye might be obvious that you can or obvious that you can't. And we will learn that sometimes you can and sometimes you can't in different situations of Hashem as we move on through Hilkos itself. Just to briefly... <coughs> Say short devatayu. We're running; it's getting cold, and I'm getting cold now. The <coughs> we're heading towards Hanukkah, Hanukkah, which starts on Friday night. Shabbos Vayeshev, Shabbos Vayeshev. Hanukkah nearly always falls either on Pashas Vayeshev and Miketz, as it does this week, or in Pashas Miketz. That means Hanukkah always falls on the Shabboses that discuss the life of Yosef Hatzadik, giving us an indication that Hanukkah and Yosef Hatzadik are directly intertwined, connected. There's some connection there between. Hanukkah and Yosef. Yosef. What? Yosef Asadi got to do with Hanukkah. In fact, some swarm tell us that uh, the bracha that Yaakov Avina gives in Vayichi to Yosef is a lekim yechoncho b'ni, the word yechoncho, which means Hashem should bestow uh, favor on you, my son. Yechoncho has the same letters as Hanukkah, indicating that Hanukkah and Yosef go together. What is there about Yosef Asadi that is relevant to Hanukkah, and why is the, pash- the, the weeks of Hanukkah, why do the days of Hanukkah nearly always fall? On the, pa- on the pashas of Vayeshev Omiketz. The Rambam, when he discusses all the halachas of Hanukkah, length, he goes through all the different halachas, and very often the Rambam at the end of a, of a group of halachas, uh, end of a state of halachas, he will, he will, the Rambam finishes off usually with a piece of musa. A bit of musa, at the end of Taris, the Mikvois, he gives a bit of musa, and the end of Kachim, he gives a bit of musa. The end of Moed, which is the end of the halachas of Hanukkah, right at the end of Hanukkah, he describes all the importance of Shalom. Shalom, and he goes through all the different Mamari Chazal, different quotations of Chazal of Shalom, of keeping peace, and, and how important Shalom is, an integral part of our lives. Right at the end of Hanukkah comes all the halachas of Shalom. What has Shalom got to do with Hanukkah? <coughs> we find the life of Yosef is very interesting. Yosef is very much not just a plain shaver. He's not one of the Shvatim. In fact, he's considered one of the others. We, uh, in the Yashpizim on, on Sukkot, we have Yosef as part of the Yashpizim. We don't have any of the other others. We, we know that Yosef was a, a father of two of the Shvatim. Ephraim and Manasseh eventually became Shvatim. Yosef became a father of Shvatim. So Yosef is very 
similar, very close to Yaakov, much closer to Yaakov than any of the other Shvatim. In fact, the, the Pesach tells us in this week, etc., that he was identical in appearance to, to Yaakov. Everything that Yaakov learned, he handed over to Yosef. Yosef was the continuation of Yaakov in this world. So the Yaakov was the Ishtam Yosef Ayolim. Yaakov was the man who most of his life, though he was a short, for a short period of his life in the house of Lavan, but most of his life he was on his own, serving Kodesh Baruch in his own way, learning his own Torah. Yosef was much more than that. Yosef, though he continued the work of Yaakov, and the, 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 the marshal, the Medrash, tells us that Yaakov was considered the, 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 the uh, Ne'er, and Yosef was considered the Shalhevis, the flame. Same, same article, just two different parts. The flame can move away from the Ne'er. That's why only Yosef could fight with Esau, because you can only fight with Esau from a distance. Yaakov and Esau, Yaakov and Yosef, Yaakov is the, is the fire, Yosef is the flame. Ya- Yosef is a continuation of Yaakov, but somebody who can move out to the distance, move away from Yaakov, move into the distance, move into the Golos, move into Mitzrayim, and continue the Avodah, continue the work of Yaakov, even in the darkness. And that was the life of Yosef. Yosef went down to Mitzrayim, spent all his life, nearly all his life, except for a very short beginning of his life, within the Mitzrayim, Mitzrayim which was at that time the, the, the powerhouse of the world. Mitzrayim was the Mitzah, the very word Mitzrayim means boundaries. Mitzrayim is the epitome of Oedem Hazer. He went down into the darkness of Oedem Hazer and he remained true to his principles. He never succumbed to a single chasr shalom, to a single taiva, to anything. As we see right away through the sedras, he remained true to the principles that he learned in the house of his father, totally loyal to HaKadosh Baruch Hu, without chasr shalom being, being uh, pegeir, without being over in any chet chasr shalom at all. That's the beginning of Yosef. Yosef is the idea of somebody going down into the darkness, perhaps moving seemingly away from the source of spirituality, but yet remaining totally spiritual, but not just remaining spiritual, even spreading that spirituality and lighting up the area of darkness, lighting up Mitzrayim. Ya- Yosef spread the name of HaKadosh Baruch Hu right away through Mitzrayim, as we find towards the end of the Sedras, that he com- spread the name of HaKadosh Baruch Hu and he brought spirituality right away down to Mitzrayim, so eventually Yaakov could, could come down to Mitzrayim and even build up Klal in Mitzrayim itself. So Yosef epitomizes the idea of spirituality in a total darkness, in a vacuum, going down there and lighting, igniting that little spark, that little flame of Ruchnius and spreading the light in the darkness itself. The Yevonim, the Greeks, when they <coughs> came in and defiled the Beis Amigdos, the, the idea behind Greek, the Greek mythology, the idea behind what the Greeks stood for is one thing and one thing only, and very basically something which we struggle with today in the Western culture, that a person can only understand they can only achieve that which he can see. Something which he can't see, something which is beyond the physical boundaries, the physical mind of a person, cannot be true and has no effect on us. The Yevonim always said, you have no connection at all. is upstairs, we're up there, we're not denying this, said the Yevonim. There is that but the Yevonim and us have no connection. We are down here, we are in the physical world, Spirituality is up there. We have to live in the world as we are in. We have to live in the spiritual world, the world of the physical, what we can understand, we can, we can aspire to, what we can't understand, we can't aspire to. Science is very much an outcome of Greek ideology. The, science, the, the world of science say what we can understand must be true, what we can't understand isn't true. And therefore they base everything about life around what, they can, what their mind can perceive. What their mind can't perceive, they can't be true. Though science changes as time moves on because people's perception, people's understanding changes as generations move on. Then their perception and what they feel and what they believe is right changes too. But at the end of the day, it's limited to what they can perceive with their own physical mind. We in Kalishwal understand things are different. And that's what Yeshua Sadiq taught them. Yeshua Sadiq came down to Mitzrayim. Yeshua Sadiq taught them that even in the most darkest place in the world, even in Mitzrayim, you can 
light, ignite this light of spirituality. We believe that even though we live in the physical world, but there's a spirituality in the physical world, there's worlds beyond the confines of, of the physical world, and not just that there's world, worlds beyond the confines of the spiritual world, of the physical world, we can actually connect to those spiritual worlds within the darkness of the physical world that we're in. And that's what the, the nest of Hanukkah symbolizes. A light, a single light in the darkness of Yovan, just one single light can illuminate the whole of Besamekdash can recreate that spirituality that was missing, that was defiled when the Yivanim entered into Besamekdash. And that's the Yetzir Sadiq, and that's why the Nest of Hanukkah, the Mitzvah, the, the Yantav of Hanukkah, always falls together with the Sedges of Yosef, because it's a two of the identical message coming right away through Hanukkah and through Yosef. Though we are in the darkness and we are in the middle of the winter and we are dark, though it seems to be totally contradictory to everything spiritual, but at the end of the day, spirituality is alive. And that's the, 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 the Nest of Hanukkah, the light of Hanukkah, that though we are in darkness, the light is there to illuminate us spiritually to know where we need to go. And that's what Shalom really means. The word Shalom doesn't just mean to have, make peace. To make peace means to be able to connect two opposites. Shalom means two people are arguing, two people are fighting, and you can bring peace. You're taking two opposites, and you, you are uniting two opposites. We always say, I've said this over many times, the Chazal say, Ein keli machzik brocha. There's no vessel that can hold brocha el shalom, only Shalom. A keli, a vessel, is something which confines. Right? You can only fill a vessel in as, in as much as large as the vessel is. You can't fill it with, with anything more than that. Bracha means something else. Bracha means an outpouring where, one, where, where there's, no conf- there's nothing confined. A bracha can spread all the way across, beyond and be- beyond. And beyond. A, a keli, to be machzik bracha, a vessel to hold bracha is a contradiction. A keli is something which is confined. A bracha is something which spreads. How can you have a keli which is machzik bracha? The only thing that can do that is shalom. Peace is something that can connect to opposites. Shalom is what brings spirituality into this world. It's only through Shalom that we can bring the opposite, the Ruchnius and the Gashmius, which are two opposites. And therefore that's why the, the Greeks couldn't understand how they could, they, they could live in cohesion together, spirituality and physicality, because they, they seem to be complete opposites. But through the, uh, the power of Shalom, we can bring the Shechin into this world and we can fuse the spirituality and the, phys- and, the, and the physical world in one. And that's the message of Hanukkah, and that's the message of Yosef Asadik, and that's the power of Shalom, and which is very much the message of Shabbos as well, as we say, Shabbos starts off with Shalom Aleichem, Bachuni Shalom, Shalom and Shabbos go hand in hand. The, the idea, as we discussed at length in, in, in a, a, few, a few years ago, of peace on Shabbos, not Shalom, having a machlek on Shabbos is so important, because that's what Shabbos is. Shabbos is bringing the Olam Habba down into this world, that is the Shalom, the Shalom, the Nechanukah, and the message of Yosef. We should be Zoycha to truly have Shalom, and to see the Nechanukah in this world, and we should be Zoycha to the Chanukah Sabayas, the Bayas Ashlishi, 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 the B